Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. We are continuing our series on spiritual formation. And this week we are talking about grief and loss and how that contributes or informs our spiritual formation, how it affects that. And my guest this week is Anna Burgess, and she is a friend that I met through the Azer Collective, which you've heard me talk a lot about. I met her a year ago and then got to see her again this last fall. And she's a a writer, an editor. She has a great magazine, which we will talk about. And I have just loved sitting down with her and talking in this last fall when she was here uh, we get to have a, a conversation more about the losses that she's experienced. And she I forgot to mention, she is a missionary in Lima, Peru, which is just cool. And so we are talking over Skype today, and I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast, Anna. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Angie. <laughs> so, oh, is there anything else you'd like to say to introduce yourself? Oh, well, I'm 34, which... Mm. I don't know whether that feels old to me or doesn't feel old to me, <laughs> uh, I, but I've been married for, it'll be 16 years this year, so I got married the day before my 19th birthday to mm-hmm. Mark, and we have three boys who are 12, 10, and 7. So you're very busy. I am busy, but I'm less busy than I was because my boys are now in school, mm-hmm. so they were homeschooled up until last year, and then they're now in school, so I suddenly have more time than I've <laughs> had in many many years that must have been a huge shift to it have them been a, huge, a huge shift to have them in school and mm-hmm. it was because the school is far from our house too it's, it takes an hour to get there and back that's been a big transition mm-hmm. for us as well but it has to start off with I wasn't totally happy with the, the change I felt like I didn't have a choice okay. because of uh, health reasons but now I don't regret it at all and I feel like it's the best thing for my, the kids and for our family so I'm really happy with the with the that change. outcome ultimately oh. yeah good so you mentioned that you had three boys and yep. part of the conversation that we had and part of the conversation you and I are going to have is that you've experienced some pregnancy loss yeah so alongside having three uh, living children, I have four children who are no longer with us. So mm-hmm. I lost four pregnancies. The first one uh, at 16 weeks pregnant, mm-hmm. um, and that was a little boy. We, did, we had an, an induction. We found out that he had died inside my womb when I had a scan. And so I, uh, we had an in- inducted delivery and discovered that it was another little boy. And then mm-hmm. after my third living child... I had uh, three eptopic pregnancies. Okay. Um, so we don't know whether they were, were boys or girls. I have my own feelings mm-hmm. about that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were kind of all very different experiences. But, yeah, they they form part of that kind of – I think when you when I first lost a child, the question, how many children do you have, mm-hmm. seemed such a difficult question to answer mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't know – I wanted to be honest. I didn't want to deny the, the life of the – that I had lost, but it also felt like too much of an intimate right. conversation to have with somebody in the street. Right, and a little awkward, and they're probably not expecting that kind of answer, so like... <laughs> yeah. 
I got to the point where I was like, okay, I have to answer them how they want to be answered mm-hmm. rather than what they're necessarily expecting. the completeness of the answer. Right. I think I shared when you and I were talking, and I think I've shared on the podcast before that I've had three miscarriages, I think even maybe four. Mine were all too early to know what the gender was, so I, I can relate to one of one of them I named Rose, the one that I carried the longest, because my husband had given me a rose bush when we got pregnant, and it, we lost her at 11 and a half weeks, so we, even, we never would have known what the gender was. But yeah, so I get that. I get the just kind of thinking and dreaming of what it would have been. So then what was the time frame of those losses? Can, where did they, so, you said some of them came after your third? Um, yeah, so some. the first baby that I lost came between my second and my third child. Okay. So before three months before I became pregnant with Caleb, my youngest was actually when I had the first miscarriage, the one at 16 weeks. Okay. I actually don't look back on that time as a time of, deep depressive grief it actually was a very powerful time for my spiritual growth and connection with God Mm -hmm. Um, I listened to a a podcast earlier in the year before the miscarriage had happened about grief I'd never really experienced grief so close before my grand well my grandma had died when I was 14 but I hadn't really ever I didn't know how to deal with grief in that at that Mm -hmm. point so I just Mm -hmm. kind of ignored it or or um, didn't really embrace it or face it. So it was the first grief that I really had no way of avoiding. I had a baby that was dead inside me that had to be born. That was such a bizarre concept to me to have to give birth to something after death. Right. And I had to deal with it. So that was the first grief that was was close. But the, the podcast that I'd heard or the sermon that I'd heard, I don't even know if we had podcasts back then, but the, <laughs> the sermon that I'd heard had talked about during grief, doing two things. The first was not avoiding the things that cause pain. So mm-hmm. leaning into the things that cause pain and, and um, allowing yourself to feel the things that the strong feelings that were there. And the second thing was, rather than asking God, why asking God, how do you want to meet me in this? Mm-hmm. And so that was what I did. I, I, when I felt the strong feelings after the birth, after the delivery of, of that child who we named Solomon, just because of the peace that we felt around that time. Every time I had a strong feeling and just kind of wanted to, I don't know, just felt so broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just literally physically stop. I remember stopping in my kitchen and just holding out my hands, closing my eyes and just saying, God, how do you want to meet me in this? And just feeling like God embraced me in a a big celestial hug. Mm -hmm. That's the best way that I can describe it. And just felt like, like he did. He did kind of, come close and, and and met me in those moments. So that rather than feeling totally overwhelmed by the pr- depression or the, by the grief, I didn't feel depressed at that time. I also, I assumed that grief meant depression. Okay. Now it has meant depression for me in other, in other griefs that we can talk about in a minute. But in, at that time, I felt like God was saying, you have a choice. You can decide how, how this goes. So in that particular grief, it, depression was not something that happened. I had grief. I had, I think one of the things I'm really realizing is that de- depression is often connected with disconnection mm. and feeling disconnected from things. And that has been my experience in later griefs where I felt disconnected from God. But that first grief, I felt very connected with God. 
felt very much that he was by my side. I started planting a garden. I'd never really been interested in gardening up until that point. Um, I didn't. I never understood why giving somebody flowers would be something that they would appreciate, mm-hmm. particularly other than kind of it being a nice thought. Um, but I, I planted a garden. All I could do was kind of get my hands into the soil and do something with my grief. And so I planted a garden in our house. Um, we also buried our, our son in the garden. So that was a kind of special, a special thing that I did with that grief. And suddenly I felt like God spoke to me through that. I felt that he spoke to me through the slow ways that the, the plants grew, grew and the patience that I needed to have mm-hmm. with the process through lots and lots of different things. So the garden became quite a prophetic place for me for God to, to speak and to see something flourish. I planted sunflower seeds and then three months later, as those sunflowers were just beginning to bloom, I found out I was pregnant with my son, Caleb. So it Mm. felt very much like a kind of redemptive thing Mm -hmm. at that particular time. I love what that, what you got from that podcast or that sermon to not ask why, but ask God, how do you want to meet me in this? That's such a shift of attitude and question and such a shift in the relationship with God I have said time and again, a lot of times my go-to is to cut and run. Like, this is hard. I'm done. I'm out. But what I love about what you did and what you heard is to invite God into it, to not kind of cut and run, but to continue in relationship with him and let him meet you and not, I mean, anger, I think, is a natural part of grief. But what I appreciate, yeah, is just how that keeps you in relationship with him. And I think when you ask God why, it's you're setting yourself sometimes up against God. Mm. Depends what the attitude that you're asking it in, obviously. Like, but I think it's not automatically coming from a place of trust. Whereas asking Him how He can meet you is it's coming from a place of trust and allowing and recognizing that there are questions that we're not gonna we're not going to know until we get to heaven or even if he tells us, okay, well it happened because of this, you may not like the answer. It doesn't help. Like I had a a low lying placenta. And so the week that, that Solomon died in my womb, my husband was away and I'd been told not to lift things, but I had two toddlers Mm. um, who I had to look after and I had to, I had to carry like that was just how it was. So that it may well have been as a result of that, that was, how the baby died I don't know um but even if that was the case knowing that's not necessarily a helpful thing and what can I do about it there's nothing that the baby had gone so there wasn't any way of changing that situation so after you had your third son third living son then you had three ectopic pregnancies and so then was your grief different then than it had been with Solomon it was very it was very different. I think there was a lot more confusion for me about why it was happening. There was also a lot of stress around the medical situation here in Peru. Medical care is not compassionate and it's very authoritarian often. So it's very much the doctors tell you, okay, this is what you've got to do. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> Be quiet. Um, so awful. And, and so I think there was a lot of trauma that came for me around those particular th- times that I wasn't able to express until later or recognize until later. And so I think there was a lot of isolation I felt just going through those different times. That one of the, after the second ectopic pregnancy, the first one wasn't diagnosed until actually 
I had a ruptured ovary with the second. Mm. And so I had a, a ruptured ovary for a month, but the doctors wouldn't believe that there was anything going wrong, anything wrong with my body. They just kept telling me that I just needed to, to rest and maybe I had a sexually transmitted disease that I just needed to <laughs> rest. I don't know what you were expecting to do about this, but uh, I eventually convinced the doctor to do investigative surgery and they found that my ovary was ruptured and that my abdomen was full of blood oh um, and that, yeah, that it was a result of an eptopic pregnancy that had, had ruptured. And it was understandable that they hadn't found it most eptopic pregnancies of uh, happen in the fallopian tubes rather than in the ovary okay. and so that's it presented like a cyst on the scan so it wasn't that they didn't do any investigations they did they just couldn't see anything that was worthy of doing the surgery until later mm-hmm. but, but that whole process was very stressful for me being in and out of of hospital and feeling like I wasn't being listened to by the doctors and kind of trying to get that balance between okay god what are you saying in this what am I like, am I just being crazy? Is this mm-hmm, nothing? Mm-hmm. Am I just feeling stressed? Or is this actually something I should be going and seeing the doctor about? Should I be keep like pursuing this? And I just, it was very, just a very anxious battle for me, that whole process. So I think I didn't feel God as close. And at that time, um, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that I pulled away from God, but I just didn't feel that same level of Presence. spiritual breakthrough mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. mountaintop experience that I felt after the first one which I recognize that's probably most people's experience of pregnancy loss is not a mountaintop experience with God afterwards but because that had been my first one I guess maybe that was my expectation but it had much more of a okay this is something that I need to process I had much a lot more doubts about my own body this this when mm-hmm. it happened the second and third time like what was I doing to to make my body fail mm. there was kind of this the start of kind of um like shame yeah shame and almost like self re- self-rejection or or feeling kind of this is my fault mm. guilt mm-hmm. um and a powerlessness there too because it was there wasn't any evidence necessary that it was my fault but um yeah, i think feeling that, that i think that's so hard and i think it's hard in the midst of it to advocate for yourself too i mean especially since you're in a special situation where the healthcare system is is different in peru but i think even here in the united states that i remember when the the miscarriage that i had where i was the longest along was 11 and a half weeks and they said watch and if you pass the entire baby then we won't have to go in and do a dnc and everything should be fine. And so I delivered the baby at home and I had, you know, held it, this little 11 and a half week baby in my hand. And I called the doctor and I said, oh, okay, like, what do I do now with the baby? And they said, oh, you can just flush it. And I thought, uh, no, I'm really, no, no. And so I went to my husband and he said, absolutely not. And so we tried yeah. to figure out, okay, so now we're kind of on our own in uncharted territory and people really don't talk about it that much. And so what, yeah. what, you know, what do we do? And I had grown up in the Lutheran church and I had my, when I got confirmed, my aunt gave me a hymnal and it had the service for a funeral in it. And so my husband went out in the backyard and made a great big, huge bonfire. And we went through the funeral service and I guess cremated 
the baby in the fire. But it was so helpful to go, to give ourselves the permission to do what we needed to do to start that process of grieving. Yeah. I think that one of the most difficult things about pregnancy loss is that it's not it's hush hushed Mm -hmm. and such an important part of grief is being able to commemorate celebrate Mm -hmm. recognize that that life studies have shown that trauma occurs when we don't feel seen or heard or valued and that's why I would say that all pregnancy loss is to some degree traumatic because it is a grief that is is not seen or heard mm-hmm. or valued by society. Just it wasn't valued. That comment that the the doctor made to you devalued the right. life of of your child and the grief that you were experiencing at that time, which sent you a message saying, "Yeah, you should. This is this is it's done now. You should be over it." Mm-hmm. Right. When right. that isn't that isn't the case, and that mm. and that isn't helpful. No, and I had and someone that, said say to me once that it's not just the loss of a life. It's a loss of all the hopes and the dreams that you had for that life. And that was really, really helpful and really affirming of that is a loss. Like that is a yeah. loss worth grieving. Yeah, definitely. And I think we need to find ways to commemorate that loss and to speak it out, even if that's not with everybody. Mm-hmm. It needs to, there needs to be a way that that can be done with the people who are closest to you or who you can invite into that. One of the things that we did um, after the second and third eptopic pregnancies that we had here in Peru is that we held a little ceremony in our garden mm. and we asked all of our community to come if they wanted to, of which a couple of people didn't feel comfortable coming, so they didn't, and that was fine. Um, but we asked them if they wanted to come, could they bring a flower, either a handmade flower or a flower from the park? It didn't matter. It had to, mm-hmm. didn't have to be something fancy. And then each person had an opportunity to say something if they wanted to. It's a very, here in Peru, people don't really send cards, but they say things. It's a very important, at birthdays, people will often go around and say something to the person whose birthday it is and give like a little speech. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Western culture is much more about giving a card and saying Mm -hmm. those words written down. So they they said something to us or if they didn't feel they were able to say something, they just came and gave us a hug and then they would, then they put the flower that they brought under the tree in our garden so that was just a way of in community together recognizing the loss and I also felt as we were leading the the church here it was important that we showed other people that pregnancy loss was important like Mm -hmm. how we grieved and how we demonstrated that to other people was going to set a precedent for how they then responded to to others when they had their own church communities or their own part of the Christian fellowship, how they then responded to other women who and families who lost babies. Mm-hmm. So th- that was really important to us to just model that, even though <laughs> it wasn't necessarily what I totally wanted to do. <laughs> right. I didn't want to do it, but I didn't want to lead necessarily mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. going through that. But I felt that that was an important, important way to model that to other people too. And it was really powerful. It was a connection for us to just people to say to us, we don't know what to say, but we love you and we're with you. Mm was just really was really powerful and somebody brought a song that they'd specifically written and sang for us and somebody else wrote a poem about like how they were going to miss our child being part of the community growing up and the different events the child wouldn't be there and it was just it was to see the things that they perhaps perhaps people wouldn't necessarily normally share Mm -hmm. 
to see their own responses of grief. I think when we don't allow other people into our grief, we don't hear what they are going through either. And there's uh, another example of that. There was a lady who that I know here in Peru, and she she never grieved the loss of her child. She lost a child at a similar stage to, to me. I think it was about 20 weeks she lost her child, mm. and she never had had never done anything to commemorate the loss of her child. And it was two years later and she found herself pregnant again and she was very anxious about whether or not she was going to lose this next mm-hmm. baby. It was all very natural. And um, her doctor, who's very compassionate, more kind of midwife style, who I also, I'd recommended to her, she'd said to her, you need to do something to, to close and, and commemorate the, the first child, that close that, that, that time so that you can then embrace the new child and everything that that child is, is going to bring to your family. And so she held a little service at her house, which she invited me to. And it was just a beautiful time. She just had a close family. It was me, another church friend that she had. She's not a member of our church community, but a different one. And then just her closest family. And she had never heard how her family had grieved mm. the loss of her child because they had been so concerned about her and her kind of her loss and not not wanting to weigh that on her that they had never shared she felt they didn't care Mm. like she felt that she felt unseen and unheard and unvalued or like that her child wasn't valued but rather they had just not wanted to share their their loss and so to hear each member of the family her mother her mother-in-law her husband even like sharing what that what the death of that child had also meant to them and was so redemption and so kind of connective. And I think what that spoke as well as it wasn't too late, even though it was two years later, like I don't think it's, there's a time where it's necessarily too late for that to, to happen. If mm-hmm. it hasn't, if, if you've lost a child and you haven't managed to commemorate that in some way, I don't think that it's too late to then do that later on or to invite other people into that. That's really beautiful. I hadn't considered that before. I mean, I thought about I thought about myself and how it affected me, but not really how other people would have been impacted by those losses. That's really beautiful yeah. that she did that. Well, something beautiful that you've done with your experience with pregnancy loss is to create a really beautiful magazine called Healing After Pregnancy Loss. And I have the copy in front of me. And from the moment I opened it, I started... I started crying because when you're in the midst of such dark and pain and loss, and from the moment I cracked open the magazine, it's just beautiful. And to have something that is so beautiful that walks you through pregnancy loss, and and you talk about commemorating the loss of the baby in it as well. It's just, it's so honoring and it's so, and yeah, that was my first thing was to have something that's so beautiful to walk through something that feels so dark and ugly. So talk about like, how did the magazine come to be? When I first had the miscarriages I had, I was in Peru. It was before the time of Kindle. (laughs) Um, And I found it very difficult to find resources that was speaking into what I was going through and much less resources that were hopeful about that Mm. experience. I think that you can often hear people's stories and they're valid. They're important too, that, that people have a voice to share the pain that they're going through. But I think often the stories often said, this is how you should be feeling Mm. and you should 
make sure that you that it's as painful as possible and that you dwell on the negative and well I really feel that it's very important that we acknowledge all the feelings that we're feeling I wanted people to also know that there is hope and that God wants to do something beautiful out of that season and that verse that talks about sowing seeds with tears but reaping with with shouts of joy I think that that's what God wants to do he wants us to take the seeds of of our grief and to intentionally plant them to intentionally recognize the pain that we're going through but to trust to say okay this is a this is a death a seed is a death mm-hmm. isn't it of a, of a flower and a plant and to, but to deliberately plant that in the ground and trust that after a season of time of of not being able to see anything god will bring fruit and and life again and the magazine although there are uh, a lot of the people who have contributed to it are christians in the magazine i wanted it to be something that wasn't just for for christians i wanted it to also be something that would be accessible for for all women because i also think that some of the important values of the important things after pregnancy loss are connected with being connected connected with uh, with other people of taking time to acknowledge your grief and deliberately making spaces for self-care and for, to engage with with the grief are things that all women need and so i wanted that to be yeah a place full of full of light but mm-hmm. whilst not denying e- either the experiences that that we have gone through and the and the journeys and hearing other people's stories i think hearing other people's stories made me realize that i wasn't alone mm-hmm. in my in my grief when people reached out to me and said hey i've i've had a miscarriage too just the fact that they were still standing there and mm-hmm. <laughs> and alive and <laughs> like was was a testimony to me that that it would be something that I could get through too, and I think women need to hear that hear that and to know that it that it is a season, and it's not that you then say okay well I'm over that now, but you learn to to live with that and you learn to bring out hopefully to bring the best out of that situation to use that as something that that springboards you into a different season in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think hearing people's stories too normalizes your own experience, normalizes yeah. your own feelings around it, your own grief, the way that you're walking through grief, hearing that, oh, different people experienced this in different ways. There isn't a should around it. There isn't a, a right way, not a right way to walk through it, but a, I really like what you said about pointing people to the, because like the this issue is called arise, to know that there will be another side that miscarriage will never not be a part of you. It won't hold you back. You will get up and you will move forward again. I think that the, the importance of having a season where you stop to acknowledge what's happened is okay too. I think Mm -hmm. grief disrupts normal life and we hate that because we want to be able to carry on and it often (laughs) happens so unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. But if we do take the time to engage with that, then we can, rather than seeing it as a huge unwanted disruption, we can welcome the things that, that God wants to teach us and meet with us. Like mm-hmm. he's not, he didn't bring grief just to teach us stuff, but he wants to meet with us in the midst of that. And, and grief is one of those times where we can become more spiritually aware. We're often more open to saying, okay, God, what are you doing in this? And <laughs> God, I need that connection. Like, mm-hmm. okay, before I, I thought I needed it, but now I really need it. So mm-hmm come and connect with me and come and meet with me in the midst of this. And and God will, God does. So yeah, not to miss that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways, what are some things that you have learned 
about God in this process? You know, what has your, how have you been spiritually formed by the process? I think after one of the ectopic pregnancies, one of the things I struggled with is, was whether or not God was good. Mm. And because in my head, the logic went along the lines of, okay, God, either you're powerless because you didn't stop this or you're cruel <laughs> because you, <laughs> you, you could have and you didn't, right. <laughs> you did. So I don't like either of those alternatives. Mm-hmm. So are you even good? Are you really, are you good? I read around that time, Bill Johnson brought out his book called God is Good. So it's like, okay, well, that sounds like a good book to read. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um, the basic logic of that book, which I was like, okay, that trumps my logic, is that if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus and we see his life and we look at the things that he did and we we see, okay, did Jesus ever give somebody cancer? Mm. Did he ever come into somebody's life and say, okay, I condemn you now to be full of, of pain or, okay, just to teach you a lesson, I'm going to give you a season of depression mm-hmm. or, hey, uh, you're too happy. Let's, <laughs> let's give you a miscarriage. Like you don't see that, that mm-hmm. you don't see that in Jesus's life at all. In fact, you see the total opposite. You see every time that somebody is in a lack of freedom, every time that they are in, in sickness or trapped in some way, in some sort of bondage, whether that's physically or mentally, you see Jesus coming and connecting with them and breakthrough happening as a result. He is good. Like you can't deny that Jesus is good. And so I had to, to say, okay, well, it doesn't, my experience is that God is good. So if there's something that's not good that's happened to me, like I still have to trust that God is good. That doesn't, doesn't change that. Yeah, it's holding the tension of God is good and I have pregnancy loss. Yeah. God is good and he could have done something, but he didn't. But that doesn't mean that he's not good anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I totally identify so with that. Kind of a, I think I logically knew God was good or it felt, I don't know, wrong to question whether or not God was good. But actually doing that and leaning into those questions, I can now tell you why God is good. Like I can I can articulate that. I couldn't articulate that before. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you why why people said God was good before. Whereas now I can. Now I can tell I can articulate why that from a theological point of view and from the truth from the point of the, the, the Bible, why that is true to, to stand on that. And experience, my experience does back that up mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's not, my experience isn't the evidence, isn't the scientific evidence to that. Like it, it's basically on a faith issue right. and the faith comes based on reading the word and choosing to trust and believe the word. But that was a process that sounds, it sounds so neatly tied up now, but it was something that took a while to work, to process through. Yeah, I totally understand. My mom died 10 years ago of cancer. And probably in the last two or three years, I realized it was underlying that I was questioning his goodness. And it kind of came to the surface. And I didn't even realize it was there. And so quite recently, I, that I have had that same wrestle of he could have healed her, but he didn't. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you said about looking to Jesus and to, to understand who, who God is. Yeah, I really like that, that Jesus didn't give people cancer or cause people to have miscarriages. You know, I was thinking of the bleeding woman, that he healed her body and restored her position as well in society. And yeah, I love that. So how can people get a copy of the magazine? So the easiest way is to go to 
healingafterpregnancyloss.com forward slash magazine. It'll take you straight to that uh, page. And there you can either get a digital copy or you can click through to get a copy on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Okay. I'll make sure that I have that in the show notes too. So before we started recording too, we were talking about other kinds of losses and grief and that I think is really important important to talk about because I don't think it's talked about that often. So will you tell us a little bit about other kind of loss that you've had? So I think pregnancy loss has been something very difficult to work through. But another loss has been kind of a loss of a a friend or a friend who, for whatever reason, has, has distanced herself from relationship. And that's got its own grief connected with it. Mm -hmm. I think we, we often don't talk about the loss of friendship and the grief that is associated with that. And we often don't talk about, because we don't talk about it or because we can't openly talk about it, it makes it very difficult to know what to do right. in that situation. Mm-hmm. There aren't the protocols. You don't have a, a funeral service or a, like a, <laughs> <laughs> the rites and the rituals that are connected with the loss of somebody who's still alive. They don't exist. They're, right. they're not there. So I think navigating that, has been very difficult for me and has almost been more difficult than navigating the loss of, of children. What does that look like for you in your experience? You know, how, how have you walked through that or what are, what have been some things that have been helpful to try to navigate through that in case somebody is, I'm guessing somebody who's listening might quite possibly be walking through something like that. I think it's very important to, to recognize what it is that you're feeling and to recognize try and identify the triggers to that. So one mm-hmm. of the key things, I've, in the last couple of months, one of the things that that, that loss has led me to is, has been a season of, of depression, which has been mm-hmm. quite deep. I feel like I've come out of, of, I'm beginning to come out of that. But part of that is recognizing what are the things that have triggered that depression. So the loss of the friend is the kind of the more immediate thing that's triggered that. Mm-hmm. But that has triggered stuff that has gone back in my past to to older feelings, to older things that I hadn't necessarily recognized before. So recognizing one of the things that I'm processing right now is one of the triggers for me to kind of slipping into feeling depressed is when I feel angry and I don't know how to, what to do with it. Mm. So what I, I grew up in a culture or whether it's my family or the British culture too, where anger is not express like we don't know how to express anger in a way that is helpful and so I I find myself at times with feelings of anger Mm -hmm. but not knowing how can I how can I express that in a way that is helpful that wouldn't be damaging to other people and I still don't have the answers to that Mm -hmm. but that's one of the things that I'm (laughs) processing with God right now and asking him like okay God there are times in the Bible where you are obviously angry you can see the anger that you had towards Israel or Jesus in the temple and you gave voice to that anger and I don't know how to give voice to that so show me how can I give voice to the things that I'm that I'm feeling and recognizing as well anger as well as is also an emotion so I know that many people use that like they use the power of that emotion to then propel them into doing something else that's Mm -hmm. positive and so I'm trying to see how I can do that too like Mm -hmm. I think for me choosing to embrace other people in friendship right now or people in our community who I recognize are more on the edge who are, are lonely right now that I've just feel compassion towards them so mm-hmm. bringing them in like part of the anger of the disconnection that I feel from my friend is saying okay well I'm going to choose to connect with other people who might feel that 
that sense of loneliness and isolation too and I'm going to bring them into relationship and to regularly invite them around for meals and regularly ask how they're doing and encourage them out of their isolation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it almost sounds yeah. like, again, where you're saying, God, how can you meet me in this? That you're yeah. asking God to come and meet you and, and lead you through the process. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I feel like that I, that hasn't been the process for the most of the time mm-hmm. since the, the loss of the friend, but but in the last couple of weeks, it's it's as I'm coming out of the depression, that is the process. So one of, one of the things I've been doing is going every morning for a walk on the beach. And uh, we just live five minutes from the beach and it's a fairly empty beach. So I can just walk and, I'll, and I can just talk out loud to God and just be with him. And that has really helped clear my mind and help me kind of pull out of the, the depression and to connect. Because one of the things that was not helping my depression at all was that I had disconnected from God, emotionally disconnected. I was still reading my Bible and going through the motions, but my heart had shut down from mm-hmm. allowing God to connect with me and allowing him to to speak into those areas because they were just too, felt too painful. So yeah. just accepting an invitation from him to just go and walk. It was like, okay, I don't have another agenda for you, Anna. I just want to go and walk with you on the beach. Okay, well, that I can do. As long as you're not talking about all the other stuff that you want me to do right now, which I don't <laughs> feel like I do. Like, let, we can just go and walk and talk. Like, that's fine. We can do that. And that has just been, just beginning to connect my heart again to him has been key in, in pulling out of that depression. Yes. I get what yeah. you're saying about wanting to engage with him emotionally. Yeah, that's important. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we mention? There's one resource that I'm reading right now. It's not a Christian book, but I've just found really helpful. It's called Lost Connections, and it's by Mm -hmm. Johan Harry. It talks about the different ways that disconnection in our lives can lead to depression. And I've just felt that really, really helpful as well in uh, looking at the underlying causes of why we're depressed and what we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything in the book, but I have found it very helpful in helping me to identify what are some of the things that, or some of the ways that I'm disconnected mm-hmm. um, with, with God or with other people or the way that pain has shut me down and look at the ways that I can then embrace that again. So that's a, a recommended resource for... Are there any other resources that you would recommend? Well, I can't think of anything right now. Okay. Only, only the, I mean, the God is Good book that we talked about, the, mm-hmm. the Bill Johnson, that one was a, a helpful book. Actually, on my website, there's a, a list of oh, okay. books that were specifically good for, for women after miscarriage and pregnancy loss. And what's your website? Healingafterpregnancyloss.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember there's a book called Option B. I don't know if you've heard of that one, that uh, Cheryl Sandberg, I think. Yes, the, yes. The wife that one I found very encouraging just after, uh, because of after the final miscarriage that I had, I lost the ability to have children naturally. That mm. kind of changed everything in terms of my outlook on life. And okay, well, I thought I was going to be having more children. Now it doesn't look like I am. So I found that book just really helpful um, in processing different things. And there was a book called Struck, which is um, about a, a guy who, I think he had a heart issue that basically has to rebuild his life physically and the emotional accompaniment to that and the grief that he goes through of, of losing his the physical ability of his body and, and the recoveries after that. I found mm-hmm. that very helpful too uh, and the parallels with rebuilding your life again after, after grief. Mm-hmm. 
Good. I'll make sure that those are all in the show notes. So there are two questions that I ask all my guests. The first is, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does you talked about the beach? You know, what are what does that look like for you? Yeah. So right now, it's going to the beach every morning for an hour and just walking and sometimes singing and, mm-hmm. and a, a song that comes to my mind, to like a, a Christian song um, or reading a bit of scripture and meditating on that. I also try and have a day a week where I don't work and it's just focused on retreating with God and, and mm-hmm. praying and reading. Almost like a Sabbath day. Yeah, like a Sabbath day because we don't ask, we have Saturdays off as a family, but we had to change the calling that as a Sabbath because it just became too frustrating <laughs> to feel like it was actually a day we were connecting with God. So mm-hmm. that's become our family day. And then one other day a week when the boys are at school, have that more as a Sabbath day mm-hmm. uh, for us. Can I just say that walking on the beach sounds really lovely because in the last week or two, we've gotten probably a foot and a half of snow. <laughs> And yeah, it's been I know. bitterly cold. How cold it probably sounds. <laughs> and uh, because of the climate here, even in the middle of winter, you can walk along the beach. It, you have to wear a coat, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get uh, bitterly cold. much lower than the 50s. Oh. So. My other question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be? Okay, well, I had a little bit of a think about this, and mm-hmm. I think it would be that... I enjoy talking or singing to my flowers and my plants. <laughs> I know that there is, there have been some tests which show that, that this helps plants to live, but it mm-hmm. just gives me joy right. to, to do that and to celebrate the life around me and recognize the life around me. So that's definitely probably my my weird thing that I do. I'm, and one of my children will also join me in that, Aww. in uh, talking to to little seeds that we planted or little sprouts and encourage them to grow. (laughs) I love that. Especially considering what plants have meant to you. That's beautiful (laughs) and weird, but that's okay. (laughs) Celebrate weird. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I so much appreciate it. Thank you, Angie. I love talking to you. Thank you for joining us today at the table. Any information mentioned in the show or things we talked about can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please leave a review so that others can find us too. If you want to keep up on what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us on all the social medias at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angie Smith. MN. We'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast.